This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. Well, I want to welcome you again. Um, thank you for being here. You're, you're, if you're new, you're coming in at a really great time. Um, because we are just launching off into this letter um, uh, of First Peter, and we're going to be in it for a number of months. And it's always great to start, uh, come in at the very beginning of a, of a new sermon series and to be able to carry it through. So what I'm going to do before I even start, I'm just going to read First Peter, um, beginning in verse, First uh, Peter 1, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to go all the way through verse 12, just to set the context for even what I'm going to talk about here in a moment. This, what I'm about to read, is the word of the Lord to us this morning. It's the only absolutely true thing you're going to hear this morning. So let's pay attention together uh, as I read it. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, you can uh, go on your, on your phone um, and you can look in your app store, and the Version app is free. We're using the English Standard Version this morning. You can just download that right now, and you can follow along with us um, as, we, as we go through it. So 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Christian, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. This is the, um, this is the first section um, that we're going to be going through. This isn't all we're hitting today. We're going to be hitting um, a, lot, um, a lot more, just two verses. That's it. I know it's not a lot more. It's actually a lot less. Um, we're going to just be going two verses today. Um, we have larger sections 
Sometimes when we hit, you know, we read, read the greeting and we have a tendency to go, just God, come on, get on. P Peter's just saying stuff. He's not just saying stuff. We're going to see what he says to us this morning. Let me first answer a question. Why, why are we going through this, this letter? Why are we doing this now? First Peter. What is it about First Peter? We were in Ephesians last year and we went through the book of Esther last year and we did a Christmas series and an envisioning series and now we're jumping into First Peter. Uh, here's, why, here's why we want to jump into First uh, Peter because... When we look around at the world, things happening in our communities, things happening in the world globally over the last number of years, I think it's safe to say that we can uh, look around and see that this world has a lot of trouble in it. And we know that that's the case. That should not be a surprise because Jesus says in John 16, 33, and I love how the NIV says this, that in this world, you will have trouble. This is a promise. This is Jesus has warned us on this. In this world, there will be trouble. We will find it. We will experience it. It's going to happen to us. We're going to be in the midst of trouble. And I think the last couple of years uh, have proven that to be the case. We, we recognize that there is trouble here. And let me just point out that when Jesus says in this world, that points us to something else, that this world has trouble, but there is an existence that there is no trouble in. We, we read our Bibles and we recognize that there is a realm where God dwells and exists, where trouble does not exist. He is confident in his troublelessness. Nothing is surprising to him. Even, even just what Jesus even said in John, he knows this world has trouble in it. And Peter's uh, writing to a group of people who are experiencing a world of trouble. They're, they're, and we're going to get to why, but the, he's writing to this group of people that are experiencing similar things. A world filled with difficulty and trouble. And, and he's trying to help them understand where their hope is. Where their hope should be, and Christian, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we also need to be aware of where our hope is. Amen? We want to make sure we see it and understand it. But we would be um, fools if we didn't also recognize that this world around us contains trouble, yes? It contains trouble. It's around us, but it's not just around us. It's not as though it exists outside of this room. My guess is if I were to go to each and every one of you in this room and talked with all of you, made contact with you and said, hey, give me some ways in your life that you realize there is trouble, you could answer that question pretty quickly. That you experience something. You're experiencing it. It could be trouble coming out from COVID. It could be trouble with family members. It could be trouble with finances. It could be trouble with sickness. It could be trouble with opulence, yes? It could be trouble uh, not seeing God clearly. It could be trouble with a lot of different things. And we recognize that we, we live in this world of trouble. Again, all we have to do is just go on the news right now and recognize there is trouble in another part of the world that threatens our part of the world, and the trouble is not that far away. And so we have, to, we have to ground ourselves in where we're looking and how we're finding hope and joy and peace. 
And so we want to go through uh, this, this book of 1 Peter to help us there. Really what it is is that we, as Christians, need to be desperate to find clarity in the midst of trouble. Tiffany and I, we, we just redid our house. We're almost finished with it. Some of you have been over to our house recently for some events. We spent pretty much all of COVID trying to figure out how to... Uh, Make our house different? I don't know. We just, we just we we're like, what else are we going to do? We're just we're going to be around the house. So we, we spent a lot of time in there. One of the things we have left to do is there's some windows in our house that we need to get fixed. We need to, we need to redo. And one of those is, is in the master bathroom. There's one of those opaque, you know, big windows in our, in our, uh, in our bathroom. And so we were trying to find a, a, you know, a window for that. And so the, the window people are saying, okay, I need you to try and figure out what opacity or how, how, how um, you know, opaque you want it, how see-through you want it. And there's a bunch of things up here. I have some pictures. These are all the ones we have to choose from. And if you take a look at them, you realize some of them are definitely see-through. Like you can, you can see through. They're like, oh, someone said, oh, the rain one's really nice. I looked at the rain one. I'm like, seriously? You want me to take the, you want me to take the rain one and the, like, like, no, we're not doing the rain one. How about the one in the bottom right corner? Like, that looks probably pretty good. But if you take a look at this, you realize that there's different levels of clarity. You can see through some of them. You can actually make out what's behind some of them. Some of them, you can't even see anything at all. It's just, it just looks gray. It just looks like you, you can't make out what's behind us. What's behind it? And for you as a Christian and for me as a Christian, we are all like this in different uh, times of our life where we can see clearly or not the hope of God. Some of you are in the bottom right corner of finding hope where you just, you can't see it. Some of you are more in some of the top ones where you can see it, but it's a little, it's a little fuzzy, but at least you can see something. And all of us at some points in our life, I think, would find ourselves in any one of these uh, window frames when it comes to finding hope, when, it's, when it comes to seeing Jesus clearly, we are, we are going to experience uh, different levels of clarity or, or uh, different levels of blurriness as we try and find out what it means to follow him. And listen, we are desperate, I think, for hope. We are desperate to see him clearly. We don't want the, that opaqueness, that, that we, the obscured vision we don't want it to be obscure. We want to see it, and it's hard sometimes to see it. You know, clarity comes through recognizing who God is and, and trying to understand him and trying to live for him, Christian, as we think about it. And we want to see God. Listen, we, we find that, that, uh, that kind of the obscurity, we, we find things becoming more obscure the more we think about and live in light of things like our sinfulness, Sometimes, sometimes we, we, we have the guilt of sinfulness that comes in, the shame of sinfulness that comes in, and it begins to obscure hope. Or we have, um, we have possessions that the more we have, the more we, the more we get, the more we gain, the more we, we start to get this uh, obscurity of seeing hope in Jesus. Sometimes it's sickness. Sometimes it's COVID. Sometimes it's war. Sometimes it's uh, just a number of things around you that you've gone through in this last number of, of months or weeks or years that you just, man, there's something about it that it's hard to see behind it. It's hard to see the hope behind it because everybody, we live in this world and Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. 
And trouble often causes us to, to uh, lack clarity when it comes to seeing who God is. So how, how, do, we, how do we grow here? What's our, what's our purpose here this morning? As we think about it, here it is. The big idea for this morning is this. Your hope, Christian, will thrive with Christ clarity. Your hope will thrive with Christ Claire, are you looking for hope? Are you looking to, to make those fuzzy windows a little less fuzzy and a little more clear? You want to see it? Your hope will thrive. It won't just exist. I want to make sure we understand this. It's not going to just exist. The more we aim to look at Jesus and who he is, the more we won't just have this hope that exists, we will have this hope that is thriving in us. And if, if we want anything right now, I think it should be a thriving hope. Yes? A thriving hope. Not just a, an existent hope, but a thriving hope. And we see this at the end of verse 2 where Peter says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace. This is his call. This is his prayer for the church. This is his prayer for us, Christians, thousands of years later, that grace and peace may be multiplied to you. Now listen, where grace and peace exist in our hearts and we see them clearly, there is hope. Where grace and peace exist and we recognize them and grasp them, hope exists. And so we want to see that. We want to grasp that. We want to understand it. Here's the question that I want to make sure we answer this morning is how do you and how do I find hope if we don't feel hopeful? How do we find it? And maybe, maybe a better question is, can we? Can you find hope? Can you experience hope when you don't feel hopeful? And we're going to answer that question this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to read, uh, just the first two verses. I've read most of it. I'm going to read the first two verses again. This is where we're going to stop. I'm going to break it down a little bit just to help us understand what, what he's talking about and then figure out how we, can, how we can live it out. I think Peter's going to help us this morning answer those, uh, those questions. So, First Peter, once again, just the first two verses, chapter 1. This is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. There weren't many of those. This is, you know, when, when, when the apostles, Paul, uh, James, Peter, John, those guys, when they wrote uh, these things, they made sure this brought authority with it. Like an Old Testament prophet, this doesn't exist today. Like an Old Testament prophet, an apostle was one who, who met Jesus face to face and who was called to be an apostle. And so Peter, with authority, says an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's who he is. He's writing with authority to us. And he's writing specifically in this context to those elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God and the Fa- of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. This letter was written about 30 years or so after uh, Pentecost, which would have been the beginning of the church, the church age that we live in. The beginning of that was in, was in Jerusalem, Pentecost, when the Spirit came down upon the Christian disciples. That, this is about 30 years after that, and the church has exploded outside of Jerusalem. And we, if you were with us since the very beginning, when we planted a church, this church, we went through Acts, and we recognized that the church really exploded because of trials. 
Stephen was martyred. He was stoned to death. And it caused the Christians to just explode out of Jerusalem to try and get away from the persecution. And what happened then is that the gospel did not stay in the city, but it went everywhere. And just as a side note, God often works that way. You think, why is God doing this in me? Well, it could be that his purpose is way bigger than you know. <laughs> this is how God often works. He just works ways that we can't see. But we have, this, we have this church, these churches around the world, essentially this known world. Peter is trying to write to all of them from, from uh, uh, Israel to Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, to Greece, to Rome. He's sending this letter everywhere. He wants, them to, he wants this letter to go everywhere, and he's sending people out to get it. But here's, the, here's kind of the, um, the reality of the Christian here, 30 years after Pentecost, is that the, the world for the Christian was becoming difficult. I mean, it was becoming difficult in the church because you had uh, Jewish uh, Christians who were trying to uphold the Mosaic law and trying to figure out how to live in the Christian world with that. You have Greek Christians who are coming in that know nothing of the Mosaic law and weren't living that way. They're asking questions about how do we coexist? Totally different ways of thinking, upbringing, um, you know, growing up. How do, how do we think about this new way to follow the Lord? What does this even mean? I mean, we have that still conflict today sometimes, don't we? Trying to understand coming from different worldviews. This is, this is something that was happening in the church. Not just in the church, though, but the Roman world was not happy with the Christians because the Christians were saying, hey, our king is Jesus. Our emperor is Jesus. We follow him. And the Roman emperors were saying, wait, what? Because, no, you live in the Roman world, and you need to adhere to what I say. And the Christians are saying, yes, but if what you're saying goes against what he's saying, we go to him. And so there began to be this tension. And not just that, but the, the Jewish leaders were, were not happy also with the Christians because the Christians were saying, look, I get what you're trying to do, especially the Jewish Christians. I used to go to the synagogue. No longer. I'm going to the church. And they're thinking, well, you just, you just abandoned your faith. And they're saying, no, we found hope in, in the Messiah, in Jesus, which the, the Jewish leaders didn't recognize. And so there was tension. Deaths were taking place, church, for faith in Christ. And so Peter here is writing to these churches who are struggling to know, do I go back to Judaism? Because, man, I don't like the persecution from the synagogues. Do I abandon the faith? Because I don't want the Romans to take me out. Who are saying, people in the church are saying, I'm, I'm doing something wrong, that I need to go get circumcised, or I need to follow the law. I don't know what that means. And, and other Christians in there are saying, you don't need to do that, and they're confusion. And so what do you do? How do you think through it? And here we have Peter then writing this letter and trying to give instructions on how to think about life here. Because the Christian has a kingdom outside of this world. Like our king, Christian, our king is Jesus. He doesn't exist here. I mean, he does exist here, but his kingdom is outside of this world. His kingdom is, is, is outside. You know, we live in this world that, that is, you know, controlled and populated by, by sinful people. We exist in this sinful realm. Yes, Jesus is the king of everything, but he's, you know, sin still exists here and we, we live in this world. But there is a, so when Jesus says in this world, you're going to have trouble, it's because that's true. 
But our kingdom and our, our king really doesn't exist here. He exists outside of this present existence of this world. And so Peter's trying to help us understand what that means. And so he says here in verse one, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, and he names all these different regions that I mentioned already. Elect exiles of the dispersion. Now our series is called In a Strange Land because, and this sermon title today is Strangers in a Strange Land because exile means stranger, sojourner, one who is not home, one who, one who does not have a homeland, he's been, he's been somewhere else from his or her homeland, and he exists in another one. And when Peter says elect exiles, the word exile means you are in a place that, because you're a Christian, is foreign to you. This is a foreign kingdom to you, and you are here. And he says also the dispersion. The dispersion means scattered. He's not talking about the persecution scattered. He's talking about God sending us as Christians in our native lands to be scattered uh, among the world, to, to go out. So it's this people not of their home in a different kingdom scattered throughout the world. Peter is writing to essentially what we could look at and say the church. Christians scattered. This is who he's writing to. We, we, we see this here. I remember um, talking through at one point um, trying to think through uh, how, to, how to make sure that in the wintertime um, you, you could clean children's ministries classrooms and not have the flu. Just, you know, kids throwing up every Tuesday because, like, there's germs, you know, everywhere. And so remember, we, we hired a cleaning company at one point uh, in, in, when I was first, being a, first a pastor. And we hired this cleaning company to come in, and they would spray this spray in the room that was supposed to land on everything. And for about a month, it was supposed to kill every single germ. It was like every particle just went throughout the room, and it landed where it landed. And that's kind of, you know, it was just this scattering and when Peter says exiles in the dispersion, it's a scattering. It's as if God says, I want you to go everywhere. And Peter is writing to elect exiles in the dispersion. And that word elect, it matters to us if we're going to see hope because nothing that happens to you here is by chance. Meaning, when he says elect exiles, what he means is it's actually a, it's a going back a little bit into the early days of Judaism, where God says a chosen people, he's going to actually go back to this a number of times, a chosen race, if you think about it, God's people in the Old Testament were the Israelites, and he called them out to be his people. And, and what Peter's saying here is, you, Christian likewise have been chosen by God. He's placed his love on you as his people. You are exiles, but you are elect exiles. So if you think whatever's happening to you is just by chance, it's not by chance. God has called you to something. He's given you a calling, and that calling is to say, you are mine. And so as we go out, we are, we are not just living in Gilbert or in Phoenix or in Tempe or in wherever we live in, the, in this part of the world. We are not here just because, oh man, like fate has us here. We are here because God said, elect, exile, dispersion, here, scattered. So God's plan for us is not just happenstance, it's intentional, and that, in, in some way, should give us some 
clarity and hope for, for how God sees you, how God sees me. But, but I think we need to go a little deeper. And Peter's just, that's just the proclamation of who we are. Elect exiles, dispersed, scattered. That's who we are throughout the world. But we also see in verse two, something bigger. If we, if we don't, if we don't grasp that, okay, God's called me as an elect exile to be here. How about this? The calling of uh, elect exiles to be dispersed throughout the world is not just something that's small. It is a Trinitarian call. Peter is so eager for us to understand that it's not just, you know, as we think about it, it's not just God saying, I guess you do this. This is a massive plan through the Godhead. And we don't, look, this is a, we could talk theology here a lot, um, if you're not churched, this is probably the most difficult thing to think through uh, in terms of the Christian faith, the Trinity. One God. There's only one God. He exists in three persons. And you say, wait, one and three, they're not the same. Yeah, I'm not good at math, but I know that too. The thing is, is that, yeah, one and three, but here's what we have to understand. We don't understand all of who God is. But when we read the Bible, we recognize there is one God. Three persons. And Peter, Peter actually brings all three persons of the Trinity here to help us understand what's happening. Look at what he says in verse two. He says, and, and as we read this, the prepositions matter. You know what a preposition is? It's like the according, the to, the in, the through, the by, all those words. And so we see them all here. We are elect exiles of the dispersion. And we are elect exiles in a dispersion according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, according to his purposes, according to his plan. We are not here just because, we are here because God the Father said, according to my plan, my love for you, my purposes for you, my working in you, my working through you, you will be here for such a time as this. This is according to the plan of God for us. This means, Christian, I could name every single one of you personally. He knows you. He loves you. He's called you. He knows what you're going through. He knows why you're going through it. He's put you here for a purpose as an elect exile. His love is over you, exile. He foreknew, look, before the foreknew, he knew before he made anything that you would be here in 2022 going through what you're going through right now. He has you here for a reason and for a purpose. This is according to his foreknowledge of God the Father. He has not abandoned you. You ever think, has God abandoned me? You think about your life maybe and you're like, you know, it's, it's like one domino after the next domino, and you're like, surely the game of dominoes is over. It's not. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, then the dominoes knock over a bowling ball that runs, and it knocks over something else that blows up a balloon, and then that balloon makes a chicken hatch an egg, and then all this kind of stuff's going on. You're like, when does this stop? You know, like, when does this thing stop? And you think, has God abandoned me? And I want to tell you this morning, if, you've, if you're asking that question, that I know from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, that you exist as an exile here, Christian, because God foreknew it. And he foreknew that this is according to his foreknowledge of God the Father. But that's not it. It's also according to his foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the spirit. 
Sanctification of the spirit. So according to the foreknowledge of God, in the sanctification, you exist today. God's love is on you. God the Father's love is on you. And in what you're going through right now, in the hardships and trials, in the difficulty, in the obscuring of seeing hope perhaps and walking through all of these things. And we're going to get to it a little bit later in first uh, Peter chapter one. But as we go through it, you recognize, and Peter wants you to know that all of that is working for you to be more like him. The sanctification of the spirit to walk by the spirit in the things that you're going through so that you might become more like Jesus. It's not just so that you might exist and feel like I want to fall down and go to sleep because I just am done with this life, which I've been in that situation. So that's coming from personal experience. I understand if that's you, but, but what Peter wants you to know, and I think what God wants you to know is that he loves you to bring you here to walk through what you're walking through, not just for no reason, but for a very specific reason which is at the end of the day, at the end of what you're going through, you might be sanctified. Sanctified be, means be uh, made holy or pure, to be more like Jesus, to, to, be, to be walking in a way that, that looks like him and honors him. This is what it means to be sanctified. We, we grow in this way. So this existence, every hardship, trial, every joy, every blessing that you have, every sickness that you have, everything that you're walking through, everything that's hit uh, in you it is something that God is using by his spirit to make you more like him. And it's hard to believe that in the moment though, isn't it? Because sometimes we just go, that can't be true. Or, well, then if that's the case, God doesn't love me. Or if and that's the case, then I just wish, you know, I wish God would do something different. And we start questioning God and then we start not trusting him. Let me say trust him. Because God's never done anything uh, that didn't have a purpose behind it. And also, let me just say this. God fulfills every single promise that he's ever made. Including the fact that he is good. He's slow to anger. He's bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so you can trust in those things as we go forward. I, I was thinking about how to even think about this. It reminds me of, you know, um, the Karate Kid was around when I was a kid. Now it's Cobra Kai, um, if you've watched that show. But the, whole, but the whole thing was in that first movie is that you have, you know, uh, Mr. Miyagi going around and he's, you know, Daniel wants to figure out how to do karate and he stinks at it. And, um, and let's just be honest, there's no way he's beating those other Cobra Kais. All right, at the end of the day, but it doesn't, we can talk about that later. Um, but anyway, he's trying to figure it out. And, and so, so, you know, Mr. Miyagi's like, wax the cars. You know, he's like waxing the cars. You're doing it wrong. He's like, I'm just trying to wax the cars. You know, he's waxing the cars. He's painting the fence. He's painting the house. He's sanding the floor. He's doing all this stuff. And at the end, he gets to the spot where he's like, I'm tired of this. I don't, why am I doing this? This is pointless. Why am I doing all this? And what he didn't see when he was doing it, he learns quickly that all the while doing things he didn't know what he was actually doing, it came to be that he learned, he grew. This is the case for you. You walk through your life and you think, why am I doing this? What is happening? I can't see the end of this. I want, I want to be a Christian. I want to grow. I want to be a disciple. But I don't like all this stuff. And what God's saying is, trust me. Because at the end of all this, what's going to happen is you're going to have grown. And you're going to look back and say, oh. 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. We walk this out, this life called here, church, here in this time, in this place, uh, for sa- in the sanctification of the Spirit of the living God for the purpose of obedience to Jesus. We are saved to walk in obedience. Let's just make sure we get that right. We don't try and really obey to get saved. Obedience, your best day, will never bring you to God. Your best efforts will never bring you salvation. Look, if you've never read the Old Testament, let me encourage you, read it from Genesis all the way through to the end of the prophets. And the main theme in that is that human effort gets you absolutely nothing because you always fail, which is why you need Jesus. And so you walk it out and maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I'm, I've tried so hard to be good. You know, karma's hit. I feel like, you know, my good outweighs the bad and I, and I, you know, I'm trying really hard and I think I'm doing good. And I'd say, that's great. I'm glad you're living your life well, but that does not equal, uh, being right with God or finding salvation in him. What equals finding salvation in him is saying, I can't do it and I need Jesus to do it for me. He died on a cross and he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death for you. Your purpose, here's, it's really easy. What you have to do is say, oh, okay, so I don't have to try uh, that hard to get saved. What I have to do is trust in Jesus. And I'd say, yes. And then you say, well, I want to do that. And I'd say, great, let's get baptized on April 3rd. Because if you want to put your trust in Jesus and say, look, I, I can't do this. My trust is in him to save me. I'd say, welcome to the family. We, we want to make sure that we understand that. But we do want to find obedience. We, we walk through all of this to say, I want to look more like Jesus, which means that at the end of the day, what he calls me to, I will do. I want to do. But here's the, here's the problem, and here's where the obscurity comes. In the trials, in trying to walk in obedience, in the sanctification, our trust sometimes in the Lord, our, our seeing him, it begins to wane and diminish because we try sometimes so hard to walk in obedience that we, we think that my obedience earns me something with God and therefore I get tired and weary and I can't do it and I feel like I don't belong and I feel like people can't, you know, God doesn't love me because my sin and my guilt are so strong. Or we think, or we think sometimes that all of my trials mean God doesn't love me and I'm so fixed on it. Or we mean that uh, we think that I just need a better job because if I get a better job, then I'll have more hope. And so we, we cling to the, the better job or the more money or the more possessions. And all of a sudden we have all of this stuff that's, that's getting in front of our vision and it's obscuring hope. Because hope doesn't exist in any of those things. Listen, we sang it this morning. Our hope exists in none but Jesus. We, we sang it this morning. It was a great song to lead into this because it is, it is none but Jesus. And so the question is, church, in those moments when you don't feel hopeful, can you have hope? Can you find it? Does it exist? Is it there? When you feel like I can't obey, when you feel like sanctification is not working, when you don't recognize or see God put me here, when you don't get all of that stuff, can you still have hope? And I would say, yes, yes, you can. If you remember one thing, 
which is the last thing that we see uh, here in this text. It's the other preposition as he talks about it for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. For, for obedience and for the sprinkling of his blood. Look, sprinkling was used for a number of, of things in the Old Testament, three things in particular. The initiating of the covenant with Moses, the, uh, the initiating of the, uh, the Levitical priesthood with Aaron and his uh, sons, and there's only one more thing that it's used for, sprinkling with blood. And that's if you have uh, an unclean body, if you have skin that's leprous, if there's something that makes you unclean, you'd have to walk around. People would say, you'd have to say, unclean, because nobody could touch you or get near you. You were untouchable. You couldn't go into the community. You couldn't be around the people. You had to go outside the camp. There was no hope for you. You just had to be outside, and you weren't welcomed in, and there was nothing you could do. You were unclean. And what Peter is wanting us to understand is you are not going to walk perfectly in obedience, which you might think, oh man, that makes me unclean. I can't come to God. And he says, no, for the sprinkling of his blood. His blood doesn't cleanse us in terms of our skin. It's our sin. We we are cleansed by his blood sprinkled on us. And so therefore, we, we don't have the, 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 the reason to say you got to go outside the camp and declare yourself unclean. We can say, wait a second. Am I perfect? No. Do I, do I wane sometimes in my trust of the Lord? Yeah. Am I struggling right now? Sure. Is it because I'm struggling with sin in my heart and trusting in something else besides him? Yes. Am I just stumbling through life? Absolutely. Do I have to abandon the camp and leave the community and feel guilty and ashamed? Peter would say, for the blood and the sprinkling on you, no. You have hope, not because of you, because of him. Look, you don't feel hopeful. That doesn't mean you're not, there's no hope. The question is, are you going to choose to believe that there is hope? Because listen, the more we, the more we uh, look at Jesus and his sprinkled blood, the more the, the uh, obscuring of the glass goes away, the more clear it becomes. We can see through it. What we need is Christ clarity glasses. We need Jesus glasses to see hope. We, we get like this and we think, okay, world's hard, COVID, uh, sickness, um, you know, struggling with family members. Um, man, I love having lots of things. Uh, I love, you know, traveling. I love my phone. I love t- my TikTok app. I love all this stuff. And before you know it, it's all obscured. And I would just say, look, a lot of that stuff is fine. If it's the things that we have, it's fine to watch Netflix and go on TikTok. It's fine to do that. We look at those things that are make us sick and we wonder, God, why? Why are you doing this? They're good questions to ask. But we are choosing, church, if we're going to find hope to say, for the sprinkled blood of Jesus, I have hope regardless of how I feel. And this is, this is how we want to begin this letter uh, of 1 Peter, because this whole letter is about helping us understand what it means to be strangers in a strange land. The reason that we, uh, the reason that we have this fight with hope and seeing it clearly is because we live here. It's because we live in a strange place for us, Christian. Our kingdom is not of this world. And so we live here and we fight with hope. And so we want to make sure we understand it and see it clearly. Your hope will thrive with Christ's clarity. Do you believe it? I hope you believe it. 
Let me give you two ways to live this out as we think it out, think, think through it. The first one is this. Choose to trust and find hope in him. Choose it. Choose it. Finding hope is a choice. Not, not feeling. I'm not talking about feelings because feelings hit us and we, they're, they're real, right? They're real feelings. I'm not d- downplaying feelings, but I'm saying in the moments of feelings like I am hopeless right now, I'd say, wait a second. Let's, let's step back. We can feel that hopelessness sometimes, but let's get outside of this world and think, where is my hope? Is it here in all the stuff that I'm trying to hold on to and trying to do? No, it doesn't exist here. It exists in the finished work of Jesus, the, the sprinkled blood of Christ. That's my hope. And so I can say, I don't feel hope, hopeful right now at all. I'm struggling with it, but I know hope exists and I'm choosing to trust God in it. You got to choose that path. When you see all that you have in Christ and from God, the daily hardships will lessen. The feelings of those things, it's not, they're not going to go away because we live here. But when we see Jesus and his greatness and his calling and his love and his saying, you're mine and his, I'm working in sanctification for you so that you might be obedient. And also I did the work for you by dying on a cross and rising again from the dead. When we see all that, the, the trials will lessen a little bit. The trials will seem a little bit smaller and God will seem a little bit bigger because he is bigger. And we want to we grasp it. So that's one, choose to trust God and find hope in him. And the second is a question, ask this question, where am I putting my trust that could lead to hope loss? I can't answer that for you. Where are you individually putting your hope and your confidence that could potentially at some point lead to hope loss? just a diminishing of your hope. Again, it, it could be in your health. It could be in possessions. It could be in your family. It could be in really good things. It could be in a fear of losing something. It could be in, I mean, I, I don't know what it is for you. It's a question for you to answer. Where are you putting your hope? Where are you putting your confidence in this world, this temporal world that we live in, that, that if it goes away, if it falters, if it fails, if something happens to it, you will lose hope because you've put your hope and confidence in it. One of the ways to protect against that is to constantly remind yourself, my hope isn't in this. I want to enjoy it. My hope isn't here. My hope doesn't exist there. Even if it goes away, it's okay. I get it because my hope exists outside of this realm. My hope exists in the, in the work of Christ. So we place it there then no matter what happens here, whether it's I get a bunch of things and God blesses me financially and I get to do all the things I want to do or everything goes away and I don't have anything. Either one of those, if my hope is in Jesus, that won't shake me. We just need to, we need to make sure we're doing that. We're purposely biblical here. It's one of our values. We want to be purposely biblical. Not just biblical, purposely biblical. That means we take the Bible and say, how do I apply this? How do I purposely say, how does this work for me? And I would just say, look, you have to ask yourself that question. Sometime this week, as you pray, as you um, are, are evaluating your life, as you're reading your Bible, ask yourself this question. Some of you right now are thinking, I don't want to ask myself that question. I get it. But ask yourself the question, where is it? And begin to root it out. This is where community happens and community can help. You know, you're in a community group, Maybe it's a question for your community group as you're just thinking like, this is one place and we can pray for each other and and help. But we want to make sure that we have long-term hope. I'm going to call the band up.
as we get ready to sing a song and then we're going to take communion. As they sing this song, if you have not gotten your communion cup, um, during the song you can go back and get it if you're a Christian. Uh, we invite you to, to take communion with us. Listen, we're going to be in this letter to, to, um, to these churches, the letter from Peter. Um, we're going to be walking through it and we're going to be finding out what it means for us to live here as exiles, to find hope here, to live in a way that pleases the Lord here. And it's, it's a letter that we want to make sure we grasp, we, we understand. Uh, if you've never read through 1 Peter, I encourage you to read along with us. Maybe start reading it in your devotional life, in your quiet times. If you have them, if you read your Bibles, do that. But, you know, as we think about even the, the next song we're going to sing, all of our hope, every confidence we have is not through me, but it's Christ in me. So, church, as we think about this launching off into 1 Peter, let's remember our hope doesn't exist here. It exists outside of this realm. Let's stand together as we, as we sing. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.